welcome back to another episode of the One Giant Podcast, where I am Adam Arnbrecht. That's Andy Mackowitz. I'm not even going to ask you, buddy. You're jacked up. It's Monday morning. How are you feeling? I'm feeling like I do almost every other Monday morning after football, you know, drinking for eight hours. I, I missed this. You know, I didn't know if we were going to get here, Adam, but I missed that slight hangover and, and getting the, the Monday morning scaries. I had that good old-fashioned feeling where I do anything to still be in bed. Uh, listen, it, w- it was a really, obviously the NFL came back full force yesterday, nine games in the one o'clock hour, which uh, on a quick aside, a quick aside here, uh, I don't know who's scheduling the NBA games, but the idea of putting up a game six between the Clippers and the Nuggets in the one o'clock hour, just what an absolute unmitigated disaster. Like put it, put up at four o'clock when there's only three games started at seven when you're ahead of the night game for the NFL. I, I could not believe that. Well, the other thing was like, I, I was like, Oh, well, I wonder what time it is, you know, in between quarters or halftime, I'll, I'll go tune in on the game. Like, and that was during the Cowboys game at eight o'clock. I'm like, Oh, what time does the, the game start? Like West coast teams, like what, what's happening here? Bam. The game is at like <laughs> one o'clock. I'm like, I, we're going to game seven. It's like, well, don't put it up against Monday night football. Like what? Like, yeah, clearly the NBA scheduling was, was off on that one. I don't think, I don't think some of the family members of some of the players for those teams even knew the game was going. <laughs> They someone text Kawhi Leonard. Hey, how'd it go, honey? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was watching any other game that was on. Did you see that catch? Oh, you're in a game right now. Yeah. Oh, so, right. listen, uh, on Sunday, though, before we obviously get into the Monday night matchup with our New York football giants, a lot of fun games over the over the Sunday slate. Let's start it out, as you said, before we dove in on this, the good, the bad, and the ugly from Sunday what were or what was you can you know identify one? What did you look around on Sunday and say, boy, that's a impressive performance from a particular team or player or just a really quality game? What did you say? So I have my good is some young quarterbacks that I thought performed really, really well. And those two specifically, um, I I would lean on Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson as the two that I really identified as. They are really coming into their own. I mean, obviously, Lamar won the MVP last year. It's now that defenses have all this tape. Can he do it again? All, all, the, all the tired uh, cliches. But he came out, and they stomped on the Cleveland Browns. And it was not pretty. Their game was never in doubt. Lamar solidified himself as one of the top three players in the league at this point with, with that type of performance. And, uh, you know, on the other side, jo- Josh Allen, you know, division matchup against the Jets. He did everything. He was running the ball. He was scoring touchdowns. He was throwing the ball. He he was all over the place, and I really liked what I saw from him as well. Yeah, the uh, the Josh Allen. You're still waiting for him to just kind of fine tune that accuracy, right? Because that a very good performance, and then you still get these couple of throws where he misses. I think knocks in the in the, in the wide open in the end zone. Where you're like, it's just a just lob it in there, buddy. But still really good from him. And I was talking about it with uh, Doug, who was over yesterday, saying that. You know the, the shift, as we know, but now the entire league understands the idea of the, the mobility of a quarterback being able to run a little bit. The balance that it offers you on a play-to-play basis and a down-to-down basis is so important, and you saw that with Josh Allen. You, of course, saw it with Lamar Jackson. Guess what, Cleveland? You may as well go ahead and, and start the rebuild because it is going downhill real fast, and I would expect some names to start to fly off of that roster as you head towards the uh, trade deadline if you don't really have an immediate and impressive turnaround next week. Understanding... Baltimore is an incredible team, but expectations the last couple of years have been higher for them. And they're, they're, <laughs> you put up six points, you got a problem with that, with that offense. You, you tried to revamp that offensive line and still having issues. Um, for me, if I'm going to go good here, there, there was a couple of games that I thought 
were a little a little surprising to say the least and even in a loss so there, there's one that was a win and another one that was a loss that i still think is worth noting so the the win was of course the jacksonville jaguars over the indianapolis colts uh listen we talked about it before i don't know what their intentions are organizationally they may want to tank for a quarterback in the next year's draft but jordan Minshew's not doing that you know doesn't have a great doesn't have a huge stat line but throws for three touchdowns the defense looks exciting moving around a lot and you get the Colts on the other side, who obviously new quarterback, some new players, and without the preseason, maybe a little bit of difficulty there. So they get that nice win. I think that's great for the Jaguars, and I think they're at least going to be an exciting, competitive team this year. And then the other one was the Carolina Panthers. They lose the game to the Vegas Raiders, but I, I was impressed. I, I just didn't didn't know what to expect from Bridgewater. What you know what that was going to look like. I felt really excited that I picked up Robbie Anderson just before kickoff to stash on my bench, and it turns out he's going to be a legit one. So those were a couple of games that the teams that you real had question marks going into it. I thought at least looked like, hey, we're going to have a lot of fun games this year. You, you know that Jacksonville game is interesting. Like you said, the the organization might be tanking, but the players certainly weren't, and. Indianapolis has a ready-made playoff team. I mean, they they like halfway through the season last year, they were the number two seed in the in the AFC. So, um, you know, to me, that was pretty surprising. I, I like the joke that uh, it doesn't matter what jersey uh, Philip Rivers is wearing; he still finds a way to throw like the back-breaking pick towards the end of the game, no matter where he is. Philip right? Gunner Rivers, Philip yeah. Gunner Rivers, buddy. And, and it made me think. You know, what, right now. If you if you uh, secretly ask the Colts if they would trade Philip Rivers for Gardner Minshew, they might actually consider doing that, which is which is crazy to think about. Um, so I, I'm I'm with you on the on the Jaguars. That was surprising. I put a little wager on the Carolina Panthers to win outright. I thought that they had the game. I was very bullish on them. And to, to your point, they delivered everything that I thought they could do. They just didn't get the W at the end of the day. But I'm optimistic. You know. I, I was wondering how it was going to be with Teddy Bridgewater. He looked like he had a pretty good command of the offense and, you know, Christian McCaffrey does it all. So I'm, I'm how do you, how do you feel about that Matt rule call uh fourth down, right? You can always say, listen, we didn't get it. If you have Teddy Bridgewater roll out or you have Christian McCaffrey run up the gut and he comes up short, you don't often think they're going to go fullback in that situation. That was one of those, you know, early, early career first game out there. And it's, I always, those are always those plays though. The head coaches, it's like, you'll never have to explain Christian McCaffrey not getting the first down. You're going to have to explain it if you have anybody else that doesn't get there. It's like these coaches play chess with themselves. They're like, they expect me to put it up the middle with McCaffrey, so I'm not going to do that. But then if they know that I know, then our next best play is to roll out with Teddy Bridgewater. So they're going to be on that one more than even the first one. So I'm going to go with the third the one that no one expects because it's not a successful play for us. The fullback draw. Like, right. like you, you totally nope. outsmart yourself doing You're that. You're never going to see it coming. I'm going to use our 33rd best play in this situation. They won't expect it. Uh, now we'll get into the bad. Go, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, um, just to, to wrap up the good, the good. Saints. Good. Yep. They are very good. They're exactly what we thought they were going to be. Uh but I did want to give a shout out someone that I thought was on the decline that clearly showed up yesterday. Well, two people, one Aaron Rodgers against the Vikings. Mm -hmm. defense. Aaron Rodgers looked unbelievable. Aaron Rodgers had such a fall from grace. And I know we talk about fantasy so much. He's available in one of my fantasy leagues. Like no, no one even picked him up as a, as a rostered I, player, which is I, shocking, right? Drafted him 
in I'll say the ninth or 10th round or something in my one league, like after everyone, all the quarterbacks are basically off the board. He's sitting out there amongst the Mitchell Trubisky's of the world. And it, it was a weird thing. Cause that's all that that's like the perception that it happened. And everyone seemed to collectively agree that, and it, it's twofold, right? They're going to be a run heavy offense. That's going to mitigate some of some of his ability to do some things. And also he's apparently on the decline comes out just four bombs, you know, Devontae Adams going off. And listen, when you have Devontae Adams, which, by the way, in that particular league, I happen to have Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, you're always going to have that type of offensive output for sure. So that was a really nice one, I thought, too. Uh, you have another – because I have one other quarterback to touch on, but who's your second? Well, I was just going to say before we move over to the bad, we, we could go up and down the list in all the games and basically, you know, p- point out some people that were good. I think seeing Cam, New- Cam Newton out there – um, you know, shout out to Josh McDaniels, who has Tom Brady, who's probably the most uh, immobile quarterback in the history of playing the quarterback. And then he gets someone like Cam. He has f- 15 rushing attempts. They did eight zone reads. They didn't do a single one with, with Tom Brady last year. It's like he, he completely revamped the offense and said, I have this special player. I am going to curate a specific game plan that puts us in the best uh, chance to win. And and so it's things like that, that really impressed me in the NFL where, you know, you have these coaches that, and, and we'll talk about Mike McCarthy a little bit later that are, are very one dimensional and, and play it the same way, regardless of, of their talent. And it ends up biting them because they're not maximizing the value of each of these players. Josh McDaniels has shown the ability to pivot and, and, and be diverse in his play calling, especially when you have a talent like Cam Newton. Uh, 100%. And that's what makes these coaches, even coordinators, right? That's the difference between some of these guys and where you rank them because your ability to say, here's my personnel. Now I'm going to build around that talent, not try to force them to do things that I think are going to be successful necessarily on paper. Uh, the other one, I'll just quick, t- a quick uh, tip of the cap is to Joe Burrow comes out, gets his rookie start. I thought they were a lot more competitive than anticipated. Now, listen, it's a low scoring game, so didn't see a ton in the offense there necessarily. I did take the flyer on AJ Green in one of my fantasy drafts as well. This is just on, regardless of any fantasy stuff out there looking healthy. That's just awesome for AJ Green. It looks like he's going to be able to be a very complimentary piece there. So you love that. The little stat line that I'll give you because I know you were we you were high on Burrow uh, when we were talking about kind of ranking our QBs for value. As high as his completion percentage was on deep passes in college. Came up just one for six in yesterday's game on deep balls. And that's one of those things. And this is, I'm not even trying to knock them, but it's one of those interesting things for young quarterbacks where you go, how do you transition some of the best things you did at college into the pros and still have high success? So interesting to see how he develops, but he led them down the field, put him in a great position, disastrous shanked kick. So if you're Cincinnati, you have to come out again, chargers, decent defense there. So, you know, they have new pieces on offense as well, but had a good enough game to, to at least go to overtime. You have to love that week one and you expect yourself to be competitive. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm a big Joe Burrow guy, as, as you saw from how bullish I was in the rankings. Nothing that I saw there really would change any of that. If not, I'm, I'm having more confidence in Joe Burrow, like down with two minutes to go, marches his team down the field. Unfortunate circumstance with the field goal kick. Uh, the, la- the last thing I, I will touch on, and then we'll move to the bad, is my boy Kyler Murray. So I've been bullish on him all offseason. It seems like it's the hot take now to – that, you know, I thought I was going to be on an island saying that I, I have him to win the MVP. I, I put some wagers down on him before the season started. But, I mean, going into San Francisco and just putting on a show, uh, that impressed me. And and I am excited about seeing Kyler Murray play this year. 
I'll save an interesting tidbit for later on when we get to the ugly, not to uh, gild the lily on what we'll talk about. On the bad side of things, listen, it, it's hard to look at a lot of these games, and this is something I started thinking about a lot yesterday, right? No preseason. So then when you talk about teams that have new quarterbacks, new systems, a lot of moving pieces, new head coaches, and, and unfortunately the Giants are going to fall into that category, at least from a head coaching perspective, it's hard to know what you're coming out with, and, and you're trying to find this rhythm. So – you know, there were a handful of bads. I would say that, uh, uh, well, boy, splitting hairs here for bad or ugly. I'll, I'll say that the the Detroit Lions, to me, there's a bad, right? Not ugly necessarily because there's some nice things there. You don't have Galladay. You have, you know, Matthew Stafford. But, boy, it's more of a, a deja vu scenario. Uh, you know, they get up big in that one. They can't sustain it. Matt Patricia's coming into a year where he needs to solidify himself, and it looks like he's solidifying himself as a coach that's going to be fired. It's just more of the same from them, and you, you keep thinking they're going to you know, start to round things out. They're not getting there. I'll, I'll throw them out there as my my bad team, and I won't, I won't belabor it because it's week one, but disappointing to see that because I always – I don't know. Maybe they're one of like my quiet sleeper teams that I like to root for, and the reason why is because they're never going to get there. Like, you know, they're never going to turn the corner. They had the game won. And then they had the game lost. And then yeah. they had the game won again. And they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, Adam. Mm-hmm. DeAndre Swift had the ball in his hands with nobody around him, with five seconds to go on the clock in the end zone. And he just turned around and stopped looking at the ball and dropped it. Like, it, that was soul crushing. If, if you're a Lions fan, you're probably the most depressed coming into come, waking up this morning because you had a win against division rival and it didn't work out what my my bad adam and we talked about the good young mm-hmm. quarterbacks i want to talk about the bad young quarterbacks and that is who you alluded to before baker mayfield and who we've been talking about a little bit sam darnold you know yeah we, we look at these this young crop of quarterbacks and everyone said even after half the season even after the full season Oh, Daniel Jones is not that good. He's he stinks. You know, they could have had Sam Darnold instead of Saquon Barkley. It, can we just make a pact here? Can we put it to rest that Sam Darnold is better than Daniel Jones? Can can we can we just do that right now? Because the way that he's been trending and and all of his statistics, if you look at every single one of his stats, they're not as good as Daniel Jones's rookie year. <laughs> I want to let's clarify that one out because you say can we put it to bed? Sam Darnold is better than Daniel Jones. I think is, you wanted oh, that. Isn't, there we go. Better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's not uh, no. You know what? It's funny because I, I talked about it yesterday uh, sitting here watching it of you go back to that draft and listen, nine times out of 10, you're going to look back and say taking a running back that early in the draft is almost always a mistake. But in that draft where Baker Mayfield was taken before him, Sam Darnold taken after him, Josh Allen a little bit further down the line, and then Josh Rosen as well. You have four quarterbacks taken there. Now you can say that Allen looks like he's trending in the right direction for sure, and I wouldn't be able to argue it. Then you look at the other three quarterbacks and, and I say two years later, yeah, it looks like one that in that draft, you're probably best off taking Saquon Barkley. And then you end up getting Daniel Jones and solidifying the team, right? So it ends up looking even better here as we move along. The only caveat I'll say is for Sam Darnold, five new offensive linemen. I think that he is going to be a classic example. Go back to uh, David Carr, just a, a product of situation and circumstance where he's going to be three years through the league and you're never going to know what he could have been because he played on the Jets and they've been such a disaster. You forgot to mention that Lamar Jackson was drafted 32nd in that draft as well with Baker Mayfield and and 
Big time it's knock on the on these scouting departments. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it doesn't look good. Now, and you also brought up Baker, and that's, I think, the difference here. I said about Darnold and what he's dealing with in, in New York. For Baker, they went out. They, fi- they fixed. They improved the offensive line anymore. You have this bevy of weapons, and this, to me, is just – Unfortunately for Cleveland, man, you are you are arrow trending aggressively down right now, and uh, I just I, I don't know what to anticipate from them as you move through the early part of the season. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Njoku, Hooper, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham. You literally have an embarrassment of riches, and you're putting up six points. I know the Ravens are a good defense, but. This is this is the trend. Baker Mayfield's completion percentage keeps going down and down. I think he had like 53% or something completion percentage in this game. He did not look good. And, you know, for as many of the bright spots we see with uh, Jackson and Allen, I think you, you look at Darnold and you look at Mayfield and you say, wow, I have some serious concerns. And by the way, this is the this is the nature of the NFL. When all these quarterbacks get taken, this is about the percentage of success rate. Like there are more misses than hits on these, and that's why it's so tricky. And Giants fans always think about you, you go, you get you get Eli Manning, right? And it's just, oh well, you know, 16 years, great. Well, let's just get another one, you know. Well, let's grab another one. And if it works out that Daniel Jones is that, that is an incredible success to be able to go right from Eli Manning into Daniel Jones and continue to have stability, uh, you know, and high play at the quarterback position. So interesting to see. This is going to be for these quarterbacks, certainly a referendum kind of year because you're coming up on maybe negotiating extensions. And I don't know what you look to do, especially say with Sam Darnold, who I think has more natural talent there and has shown that he can do it than maybe Baker Mayfield and yet may never get the opportunity to prove that. So going to be interesting to watch. When we flip over to the ugly, I'll just briefly say one, and then you can dive in on on the, on the hot ticket of the night. But I, I look at that Philadelphia Eagles game, and this isn't just a beat up on the division. Uh, and tip, again, tip of the hat to Washington because they looked at least good defensively, right? Lot lot of effort there. Down seventeen, nothing, um, nothing to write home about from the from Dwayne Haskins necessarily at the quarterback position. But to come back from down 17-0, win that game 27-17, I know that the Eagles were dealing with Miles Sanders being out. Then Scott takes over, and he also goes out. But boy, you know, if you have high aspirations for the season, I said when you lose an opening game like that, if you're Philly and you think you're going to be maybe a 10- or 11-win team, that's like the automatic checkbox when you see Washington. By the way, they probably look at the Giants and say there's an automatic checkbox for wins there as well. Now, all of a sudden, you, that, that immediately throws you into this nine and seven kind of murky area for the season. You have to go out and win a game that you didn't expect to. So right out of the gate, I thought about as ugly a performance as you could have from a team that has playoff aspirations and thinks that they're in the running to win this division. It was bad. It was really bad. It was so bad that Eagle fans started burning Eagle jerseys after the game. They were they were lighting them on fire in their driveways digitally. Like they're like, I'm which, sick of this. I'm not having it. Like that's how bad it is. And which think, never makes any sense. But <laughs> you know, like burning I, your I, own I, jersey. It's like you spent a hundred dollars on that. Why are you burning your own? Just thing? burn. Just burn money out of your wallet. Just take yeah. out a hundred dollar bill and start lighting it on fire. I, I do agree. That was a terrible loss for the Eagles, especially if you have playoff aspirations. These are the teams that you have to handle. Um, you talked about not wanting to beat up on the division, but Adam, it just feels so good. When, when both the Cowboys and the Eagles lose and the Giants don't lose on any given day, that is a great day to me. And, yet, and last night, uh, the entire NFL uh, Sunday was, was finalized by the Cowboys losing to the Rams. And when we talk about the ugly, I just want to say it was ugly for Mike McCarthy towards the end of the game for the Dallas Cowboys. 
They end up losing uh, 20 to 17. They lose by a field goal. Dallas had the ball inside the 20 with about 11 and a half minutes to go. And they just had some inexcusable play calls. On third and six, they run a halfback draw. They get three yards. When you should be trying to take a shot at the end zone or, or trying to do something other than run the ball short. And then on fourth down, they decide to do like a crossing route that doesn't even go past the yardage sticks and they get tackled for a loss. Nothing made sense about any of those play calls. And that's just the tip of the iceberg here. But I wanted to get your thoughts on not taking three points to tie the game on the road with 12 minutes to go. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, it's early in the season and you're trying to charge up your team and get them going. It's pretty difficult in that spot to not say, let's get back to neutral here. And then, and then we'll say, let's reset it. We think we're better than this team as you know, you're always going to feel that way. Let's reset it at zeros. And then we'll go ahead and win the last quarter and a half or whatever the case may be. The interesting thing for me out of this was, and they, they highlighted on the broadcast. I didn't, you know, they retained Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. And apparently even, even Steven and Jerry Jones were surprised that McCarthy did that. You keep the terminology, you keep continuity for Dak Prescott, but Interesting that you keep him there because you effectively look like the exact same offense from last year. And that's not a terrible thing necessarily. They obviously had success, but surprising that you leave him in the position, a guy who was under criticism last year as the offensive coordinator. And then in these big spots that if you are Mike McCarthy, especially in week one, you know, that you maybe just don't get yourself involved there and say, Hey, listen, I got to take, I got to take this train over before we run completely off the tracks. You can get into the idea of, Later in the game and the pass interference call, offensive pass interference on Gallup. Now, there's also a number of instances where uh, uh, excuse me, Donald was being absolutely held, you know, throughout the game. So those things tend to wash out for me. I get it from a Cowboys fan perspective, but play calling was interesting there to say the least. And I think that you put yourself in a much more difficult situation than when you're down three later. You can uh, uh, pass interference play. You can manage that a lot differently and also had a timeout in your pocket, really let it get down pretty low so that by the time all that transpires, you can't afford to on third and 20 manage things a little bit differently. You could have, and you chose not to, you went for a bit of more of a big play, doesn't work out, pass interference and effectively the game's over. So maybe correct me if I'm wrong and maybe I'm thinking about this a different way because clearly there's a million people that are doing all this different analysis on this, but the, the Cowboys have a timeout in their pocket with three minutes and 30 seconds to go in the game or 15 seconds, whatever it was. They could have called the timeout right there and gotten the ball back five or six seconds later after the punt and saved all of that time that the clock would have been running down. But instead, they want to keep the timeout in their pocket to, quote unquote, have a timeout to use the middle of the field. My argument is you use the timeout because – the Rams are going to use as much time as physically possible under the rules. Whereas when you have the ball, you can speed it up. You can spike it. You can use the middle of the field and you're actually going to move faster than whatever the amount of time is that you, you, you end up losing uh, on the Rams side. To me, it's baffling. Like you cannot end up having a timeout in your pocket at the end of the game there. You just can't, you, you need to use it. Well, and, that, and that's what the issue is, right? Cause you can, I, I I would take the time out there early as well before the punt just to keep the time there because then you can manage what's left. Now, if you don't, I can also wrap my head around it depending on how things play out. You still have the two-minute warning. You can utilize that too. But then once you got down into that 40 and 30, you know, 35-second area and you still have the timeout, by that point you're saying, okay, well, now this timeout has become – you've really diminished the value of this timeout at that point. So, it, it, you know, listen, it's week one. I'm not going to over-respond to it. Uh, it. It was a – 
interesting game. I think both teams looked a little bit better out of the gates and then it kind of muddled down for a while there. Ultimately, Cowboys come up short. The footnote that I had from this was you mentioned your your bet in on Kyler Murray. Uh, did you know that Dak Prescott has the same odds to win the MVP at plus 1400. So while I think I like, maybe I like Kyler Murray more as a younger quarterback, whatever, however you want to slice it. I will say though, you expect Dallas to probably win more games this year. And as we know, it's kind of predicated on, on wins and where your team finishes. So a team that could be playoff bound in Dallas and then Dak still getting plus 1400 was an interesting one as well. And it immediately went away. I think over the last couple of days that dropped off the face of the earth, but that was an interesting one that jumped out to me. I don't think you would have even sniffed at it to think about Dak Prescott relative to those odds. Ah, but guess what, Adam, if you're a shrewd better like me, you get Kyler Murray Earlier in the preseason at 26 to one. It's nice. No, listen, it's a fantastic, that's still great odds on that as well. And by the way, that was a game you want to talk about a little quick tidbit here and then we'll move on. But that was a great game from the Cardinals, right? And everyone kind of pointed to that. They thought that you played them twice last year. Schematically, a lot of things work in your favor there for the Cardinals taking on uh, the, the uh, 49ers. So, you know, you get that big win. Let's um without, cause we, we want to make sure we get to this here, obviously. It's Monday Night Football. It's the New York Football Giants. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Our season is going to kick off. I've seen a little bit around on social media. You know, Giants getting bullish, watching Philly lose, watching Dallas lose. When, when you look over, and I can, we can start on the defensive side of the ball, uh, you look over at Pittsburgh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of potential issues coming up here, right? This is a defense uh, on the defensive side. We know Hayward is there coming back as basically the anchor of this defense. Incredible talent there. You look at a guy like Dupree, who came off a really nice season for himself with 11 and a half sacks. And that's not even the headline on the defensive side because TJ Watt had 14 and a half sacks last season. You remember that they went out and got Minka Fitzpatrick over from the Miami Dolphins. You remember that two years ago they went and got Joe Hayden out of Cleveland so that he could re- you know, reclimate his career as well. Defensively, there is going to be a ton of things for the Giants to potentially have to deal with here. That's where my mind goes first. We're going to get into some of the positives and things that we maybe like about it, but heck of a difficult matchup right out the gate for, as we know, Nick Gates now in its center and our young Thomas at left tackle. This is a a rough one to open the season with. Well, we wanted the offensive line to get better, and we have the biggest test they possibly could have in week one. Baptism by fire! (laughs) You know, Adam... You, pick your poison. Do you want uh, – okay. Who led the league – what team led the league in sacks last year? Pittsburgh. Oh, that would be the Pittsburgh Steelers. What team led in takeaways last year? P- Pittsburgh? Oh, that would be the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> when we talk about – you know, th- their their challenges last year were not on defense. It was on offense and cycling through different quarterbacks when Roethlisberger got hurt. So it, it is worrisome, and, and it's why uh, there's a lot of analysts that say – you know, it's the Chiefs, it's the Ravens, and the dark horse team is the Steelers because when Ben is healthy, he has the experience, he commands the offense, and that defense is set it and forget it right now. I mean, they have talent all over the place. You talked about T.J. Watt and Dupree and Minka Fitzpatrick. Like they, they have, they have the polar opposite of what the Giants do in terms of the defense. They have their specific positions. They have elite talent at these positions. It is going to be troublesome for the Giants to put up points and move the ball down the field against this team. 
Yeah, it becomes really interesting because obviously now, and we talked about it on the last podcast, where uh, you think about the edge, that's going to be a dangerous area for the Giants week to week, even if it's not the elite talent that you're going to get from Pittsburgh here. But I, you still look inside out a little bit on the offensive on the offensive side for the Giants to say, let's look across the line there inside the trenches, Hernandez, Gates, and Zeitler. You, you got to give Jones some area to step up in the pocket. And then also you have to be able to get Barkley going, right? That That's how you at least mitigate all of the speed and pressure that you're going to face uh, from the defense. It's, it's going to fall on Daniel Jones to set that tempo and tone early. And that's how you start to open things up. But listen, the other, for me, it's, it's don't overreact when TJ Watt comes around the edge and beats, if he's, if he's, I don't know if he'll be matched up on, uh, Thomas, or if they'll, they'll put him over on Fleming to take advantage of that. Whoever comes at him, when they get there, when he takes the sack, listen, it, it's going to happen. And it's probably going to happen a few times in the game. I'll hang my hat on the fact that if there's some nice plays in between, good. And also, when that big hit comes, Daniel Jones wraps up that loaf of bread and goes ahead and, and carries it like a little sweet baby boy straight to the ground. You know, I mean, the, there's going to be those are the silver linings you're going to have to look for because there are going to be these bad plays. Let's not overreact to what happens in week one because this is the best defense the New York Giants are going to see all year. And guess what? It's a home game and we have no home crowd who would probably end up booing by the end of the first quarter anyway. That's besides the point. But I, but I think it's one of those things where if, if you know Daniel Jones fumbles the ball once, throws a pick, and there's a couple sacks, the world is going to be crashing down. But really, this is the best defense they're going to face. And we are going to have these challenges. But to your point, what I want to see is I want to see a, a, a handful of good plays where, where you know there's an actual pocket around Daniel Jones where he can step up and throw, where we have all of our skilled players on the field at the same time making plays, unique schemes for Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley getting some dump passes out in space. These are things that I'm excited to see, and I'm going to take the good with the bad and the ugly on, on that matchup. Listen, yeah, just again, get excited when you can and, and you know, take a deep breath when, when it looks bad. On the flip side of things, it does make me think about Aaron Rodgers yesterday. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, now he's coming off of an injury, so a little bit of a different set of circumstances there. But I look at Ben Roethlisberger and I say, boy, it's the same kind of thing. Everyone's talking about him. Maybe it's, you know, maybe he's washed. He's putting on weight. He's growing a beard to cover the disaster that his physical form is. And yet, he can come out and have a very, you know, vintage kind of Ben Roethlisberger performance and throw a few touchdowns, a few deep bombs, and we're going to be right back where we started on him. So uh, on that side of things, and then you got, you know, you got Connor who came off an injury, and I think that he can very much snap right back into form and become the lead, you know, that lead back that they know he is. And then you go to the wide receivers and you think about a guy like Deontay Johnson. It, it, there's a lot of weapons here for them to move the ball around on. They have, by the way, sleepily, they have Ebron there, who I think had a better year last year with the Steelers than he had in the start of his career and also didn't have Roethlisberger. So, so much of what you saw offensively was predicated on a duck throwing the ball around. Now you're talking about having a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback behind, uh, under center, and that changes the dynamic. There is, however, some silver linings there maybe for the Giants. Yeah, you know, David DeCastro, the, probably the best lineman that the Pittsburgh Steelers have is doubtful for the game as of Monday morning. So we're going to have to see what happens. He maybe gets uh, taped up and, and gives things a go, but um, this is a huge one for the New York giants. And, and the reason why is because David DeCastro has been at the, a top five inside uh, line interior lineman over the last two years, back to back. He is the heart and soul of that line. 
Um, you know, we talk about Pouncey and we talk about other players, but he is their best player. And this bodes well for our strength of our team, which is our defensive line. You know, we talk about Leonard Williams. It's time for him to get some pressure. We talk about Dexter Lawrence. We talk about Dalvin Tomlinson. There's going to be some opportunities to potentially get to Ben Roethlisberger and maybe kind of get them a little bit out of sync on the offensive side of the ball. Who are your, to that point, you talk about Leonard Williams, and Dexter Long. We, we, we know that they need to do things up front there for us to have success. Are those the players you throw out there in terms of guys that you're going to be watching? Because for me, when we highlighted where this roster stacks out, I look at X-Man and I look at Carter and I say, all things being equal, they need to be disruptive. They need to be getting home on the quarterback a couple of times, right? These are now third and second year players that you just need to see that marginal improvement there because if they're stuffing the run game and, and getting some pressure up the middle, now it becomes about getting off the edge and forcing Roethlisberger to step up and make a throw a little bit quicker than he wants to. That's how you save some, uh, mitigate some of the risk here for the secondary. Those feel like a couple of key pieces for me. And then listen, there's, there's a lot of them, but those jump out at me. So mine is is what has been hyped up all uh, offseason for the Giants, and that is how much of a force is Devontae Downs going to be in the, in that you know inside linebacker position next to Blake Martinez, and that's because traditionally Pittsburgh is a run first type of team. Now I know Ben chucks it all over the yard, uh, but they really pride themselves on having that run game to be able to move the ball down the field with, with James Conner now healthy. And so for me, if Devontae Downs is getting into the box and he is disrupting and making them more one-dimensional to have to throw the ball, that's where I think we can start moving downhill and some of these uh, you know, players like Golden or, or Coughlin or, or mm-hmm. Brunson or Crowder can, can actually make plays. And you know, if Leonard Williams knows that it's just going to be a drop-back pass for Roethlisberger, he can go all in and try to get you know, to the quarterback and make him move around. So to me, it really is our linebacking core and how much they have matured and how much better they are. Because if the Steelers have a balanced offense tonight, it's not going to be good for the defense. No, 100%. And, and from the regards of you mentioned DeCastro being out, only questionables for the Giants are you have Crowders listed there, Golden Tate, along with Toyoloa. So those are the three that we'll, we'll see what happens as game time approaches. No one else for the Steelers. So they're coming in outside of that one big uh, big injury there. They're going to be coming in 100% healthy. And all these things, by the way, just from a defensive perspective for the Giants, this is all talking about how, I, I, yes, I assume that Ballantyne is going to take some lumps there maybe. I assume that we're going to have some issues on the outside. But the way that it gets a little bit easier for them is about how they play, how we play up front, and then how the linebackers supplement behind that. That's where it all starts. If you can get it from being, you know, having a little, a second or two, a half second more for Roethlisberger versus making it a half second less, that's how you throw a little bit quicker. And we talked about this last year, uh, you know, with Leonard Williams. You go back to that Dallas game where wasn't getting sacks on Prescott, but he was forcing him to throw the ball a little bit sooner than he wanted to, and that led to some third down incompletions and not converting those and keeping drives going. So it doesn't have to be sacks. I would love to see us get home a couple of times to know that we're we're starting to get in that direction defensively, but at least needs to be pressure forcing the issue and trying to make Pittsburgh play on their heels a little bit offensively because you assume that we can stuff the run early and then put the pressure on that passing game, at least to show us, prove to us that you can move the ball with some ease. Is there anything else uh, you can say on the offensive side for the Giants that you look to and say, this guy needs to get going early. I mean, we can we can pass over Barkley. I, you know that that feels like the obvious. But is there any key pieces offensively that you think, with the absence potentially of Golden Tate? Well, I, I think 
you know, knowing that the Giants are not going to be able to have as much success potentially as we'd like, uh, meticulously moving the ball down the field, I mm. think we're going to be looking for those home run shots, a chance to to change the game with a big play. And I, I look squarely at Evan Ingram, and I think to myself, you know, outside of Barkley, if Evan Ingram can find a way to, to create space and, and we can use his athleticism with the ball in his hands, he's the type of player that says, we don't need to run eight plays and go 60 yards. I can do it all at once. And I think that's going to be, you know, that's the blueprint for the Giants to win this game, in my opinion, is we have to score quick and dynamically because I don't think that we're going to have sustained drives of 12 plays, 15 plays against a defense of this caliber. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to go in saying, don't try to be methodical and you know go for the home runs early because then all of a sudden when you don't convert one of those, you go, well, that was a three and out. What the heck happened? But in a game like this, I, I think you're right. You just you have to take those shots because at some point you're going to need them anyway. And if you can't do it early, it's easy to all of a sudden be down fourteen to you know three or something and be staring at. Now we have to do that thing. That we that the defense knows we need to do, so that you're always trying to stay ahead of those ahead of those down and distance markers and keep yourself competitive and close, so the entire playbook is open for you. And I think Ingram is important because uh, what he does will also help to unlock the deep opportunities for a guy like Slayton. So it's very in tandem on the offensive side of the ball. We're going to come back in, uh, I think, again today and just do some social media fun stuff. So let's just move in quickly here, though, so we get out the door and, and get this to the people. Talk about the line. Talk about what the over-under is set at here. And let's get those picks in, friend. Dangerously close to a gentleman's sweep from the Thursday night matchup between you and I as we kicked off the season series. I know you made some people some money out there, so there's always a silver lining. But th- And by the way, this is redemption time, and it's heavily more weighted if you if you pick this right and you get up on me uh, to start the season off from a Giants perspective. Yes, Thursday night, my predictions uh, were not great when it came to final score and spread, but I did, as you said, let the people know a teaser that ended up hitting. Um, so at least some people are making money, even if I'm looking foolish uh, against Adam. So that's a challenge. But when we talk about the Giants and we talk about the line tonight, uh, it, it opened way back over the summer at, at the New York Giants getting three. And since then, it's been bet up tremendously. Everyone is bullish on the Steelers. Um, as of this morning, it was uh, the Steelers minus six. It has just recently moved to minus five and a half. Um, oh, and, okay. And so there, there's a little bit of reversion back to the Giants, which means it's probably going to settle somewhere around five and a half, six, now that they found the, the floor, I think. And the over-under was 46. It just moved down to 45 and a half. Um, any initial mm. reactions for you uh, on the lines, even even the small changes a little bit in, in the over-under and, and moving towards the Giants? Well, you've always told me, right? That's just a reaction to, to where the money's getting thrown around as, as you're getting closer to it. So that's the, the classic Vegas, just trying to, come on, come on, you little you little piggies. Come on in for a little suckle here. So I feel like that's what you're seeing right now as far as it coming down a little to maybe entice some people to to get a couple extra bucks in on, on the wrong side of the line if you're Vegas. Uh, you know, the, the, the 45 and a half for the over under, these are always interesting to me because if you think it's going to be competitive and close, well, then you're living in a, you know, 21, 17 ish or 20 to 14 kind of world. So that's pretty low scoring relative to seeing some, some explosion on Sunday from, from a lot of these offenses, or is this talking about, you know, a 35 to seven, you know, 35 to 10 kind of blowout debacle for the giants. So, uh, it's hard to get a read on that about where they stand. From everything we led up to this, talking about Pittsburgh, I would think 
that around the league, they're saying week one, you could see a, a real gut shot here for the Giants, and this one maybe gets away from them pretty early. Is that your inclination, just perception-wise? Not about your personal expectations, but the way you think the league is looking at this game. Yeah, I, I think that, funnily enough, I think that they would have the spread higher. I mean, not the spread higher. They would have the point total higher if they thought the Giants could score against the Steeler defense. I think, you know, when you see a line like 45 and a half, you're like, oh, that's kind of low. In today's NFL, you're usually up in the 50s. You know, so, you know, teams are doing, you know, 60 points in a, in a lot of games. The line is reflective of them thinking, ah, the Giants are going to struggle offensively to put points up on the board. And, you know, when I look at the, some of the team totals, it, it, it's clear and it's apparent that they have the Giants right around 20 points in this game. Um, what's more surprising to me is they have the Steelers team total at 26 right now, which for a Giants team that was second. Without last, knowing that, I came very close as I was scribbling down possible, like where am I going with my score here? <laughs> Coming Came very close. Well, it's surprising to me because the Giants were giving up about 30 points a game last year. And now you're talking about an offense that's back with Big Ben uh, with a defense that's going to give them the ball back quite a bit. I was surprised to see it as low as it was. But again, that you know, they think it's going to be a relatively close game and they think it's going to be in the 20s. Yep. Familiarity and continuity. We talked about it in some of these other games. That's what the Steelers have for the most part here coming into it. So you think that they can hit the ground running. We know Giants, new coach, new schemes, a lot of different things going on here. Maybe that pays dividends because it means that Pittsburgh has literally no real idea how the defense is going to approach trying to stop Big Ben in this offense. Let's get into it, man. Uh, I, I leave it to you to kick this off as you had a rough Thursday night. What's what's your uh, what's your scoreline? Where do you stand on the over under? And uh, who's winning this thing? Well, I gotta say, I this this feels like one of the worst opponents that the Giants could open up against. If you like look at the list of different teams that you'd want to face, Pittsburgh would easily be in the top five of teams I would not want to face to start the season. Um, and because of that, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not optimistic on this score. So I'm. I'm going to go the Pittsburgh Steelers 31, the Giants 17. I just think our, our defense is still a huge question mark in the secondary. I think you know Ben Roethlisberger coming back healthy. It is troublesome. And you know if the Giants get 17, you know 20 points up up against that Steeler defense, I think that's kind of a win. So the question is, can our defense hold the Steelers to under 25 points? I just don't see that yet. And until we see this defense altogether, I'm not sure that anyone can really make that prediction. No, it's really hard to lean too heavily on, on any, even the optimism that you maybe have around the giants. I I'm in, I'm, I'm inclined to go bold here and maybe it's just to give you a leg up. You know, it was also a bad season series last, last year for you as well. The real question that it comes down to, as you know, I love to just kind of feather the line here is do I want to go just just shocking Giants victory straight up? Is that the route? Or do I want to just take those five and a half points and live in the margins a little bit? Uh, I, I think that we'll have more things to be excited about coming out of this game, regardless of a win or a loss. I'm going to live in those margins, and I'm going to go for a 27-24 Giants loss, okay? I, I, I want to just go for, I just want to go couldn't for the victory. It. You couldn't do it. 
I love, and don't be surprised if the, if the social media post later calls me saying the Giants went outright. That's that's as we there's been You've some been controversy some over, over over the years. There's been some controversies. I'm gonna go 27-24. I think that there's gonna be a nice combination here. Maybe a couple of home run hits for the offense for Daniel Jones schematically. Let's see how Jason Garrett improves this team. They're gonna face a lot of pressure. I, and listen, unfortunately, I don't think it's gonna be the narrative for the entire season. But I do think there's some potential for the Giants to be sitting there down 27-17 relatively late in this game. And maybe they get a little get-back touchdown and there's just not enough time. Pittsburgh runs the clock out. So for me, uh, I'm also going to be taking the narrowly taking the over as well right along with you. But I'll go ahead and take the Giants. I'll take the five and a half. And listen, I'll roll into the season looking to be excited about what the Giants can do big picture. It's not about the short term here, and I'm just really hoping that we start to live live inside of a little bit more excitement around this offense and consistency. Watch for those edge rushers for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's going to be a balancing act for the Giants. Follow us on social media because we'll be active there today. Keep an eye out for us, Andy. Football is back for Big Blue tonight. 7-10, the coverage starts as the people need to know. As always, especially on Monday Night Football against the Steelers, let's go Big Blue. Bang! Bang.